Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 8, Part 2, Episode 21. Podcast 149 is entitled, King Arthur Slays the Giant or Goglio. In last week's episode, King Arthur, his squire, and Una are led to the giant's castle by the dwarf. The squire blows his magic horn, and all the gates of the castle fly open. Duessa, riding a many-headed beast, and the giant or Goglio attack King Arthur and his squire while Una looks on from a distance. This podcast tells how Arthur slays the giant, and how Una and King Arthur find an emaciated Red Cross knight deep in the dungeon. We ended last week's episode with King Arthur cutting off the giant's arm, and by King Arthur scalping one of the many heads of the beast that carried Duessa. We begin today by hearing the beast roar in pain, causing the beast to nearly throw off his gorgeous rider. However, The giant rushes to her aid and forces King Arthur to back away. Thereat he roared for exceeding pain, that to have heard great horror would have bred, and scourging the empty ire with his long train through great impatience of his grieved head. His gorgeous rider from her lofty steed would have cast down and trod in dirty mire, had not the giant soon her succored who all enraged with smart and frantic ire came hurtling in full fierce and forced the knight retire. King Arthur had cut off the giant's left arm, and he was left to fight with only one hand. However, because of his rage, his right arm was doubly strong, and he raises his club high with the strength to cut a mighty oak tree into two pieces. He strikes King Arthur's shield with such force that King Arthur falls to the floor. No mortal could have endured such a blow. The force which wanted two to be dispersed in one alone left hand he now unites, which is through rage more strong than both were erst, with which his hideous club aloft he dights, and at his foe with furious rigor smites the strongest oak might seem to overthrow. The stroke upon his shield so heavy lights that to the ground it doubleth him full low. What mortal wight could ever bear so monstrous blow? However, King Arthur is no ordinary man. He has on the full armor of God. He has the shield of faith. As Arthur falls, his shield, which before was covered, shakes the veil, and a light reflects from the shield so bright that it blinds Orgoglio. The giant drops his arm and withdraws from the battle. And in his fall his shield that covered was did loose his veil by chance, and open flew the light whereof that heaven light did pass such blazing brightness 
through the air through, that I mote not the same endure to view. Which when the giant spied with staring eyes, he down let fall his arm, and soft withdrew his weapon huge, that heaved was on high, for to have slain the man that on the ground did lie. The many-headed beast that carried Duessa was so amazed at the flashing beams of the shining shield that he was blinded, and all of his senses dulled. The beast tumbled to the dirty ground and yielded his powers. When Duessa perceived the fall, she cried aloud to the giant to come back to her rescue. And eke, the fruitful-headed beast, amazed at flashing beams of the sunshiny shield, became stark blind and all his senses dazed that down he tumbled to the dirty field, and seemed himself as conquered to yield. Whom when his mistress proud perceived to fall, while yet his feeble faint for faintness reeled, unto the giant loudly she gan call, O help, or Goglio, help, or else we perish all. The giant though he had cowered before the blazing light of the shield, came back to rescue Duessa. However, the bright light of the shield of faith had made the giant lose all of his powers. At her so piteous cry was much moved her champion stout, and for to aid his friend again his wanton angry weapon proved. But all in vain, for he was read his end in that bright shield, and all their force spent themselves in vain. For since that glancing sight he had no power to hurt nor to defend. As where the Almighty's lightning brawn doth light, it dims the dazed even and daunts the senses quite. King Arthur senses the giant's weakness. He blessed his sword Excalibur, raised it high and cut off the leg of the giant, causing him to tumble to the ground like a fallen tree. Whom when the prince to battle new addressed, and threatening high his dreadful stroke did see, his sparkling blade about his head he blessed, and smote off quite his right leg by the knee, that down he tumbled. As an aged tree, high growing on the top of rocky cliff, whose heart strings with knee still nigh hewn be, the mighty trunk, half rent with ragged rift, the throw it down the rocks and fall with fearful drift. The fall of the giant is compared to the fall of a castle. It was so hard it seemed to shake the earth. Or as a castle reared high and round by subtle engines and malicious slight is undermined from the lowest ground and her foundation forced and feeble quite at last down falls and with her heaped height her hasty ruin does more heavy make, and yields it safe unto the victor's might. Such was this giant's fall, that seemed to shake the steadfast globe of earth, as it for fear did quake. King Arthur leaped upon the fallen giant, and administered the fatal blow with his magic sword. The horrible giant lay dead in a vast pool of his own blood. The knight then, lightly leaping to the prey with mortal steel, him smote again so sore that headless his unwieldy body lay and wallowed in his own foul bloody gore, which flowed from his wounds in wondrous store. But soon as breath out of his breast did pass, that huge great body, 
which the giant bore was vanquished quite, and of that monstrous mass was nothing left but like an empty bladder was. The bright shield symbolizes the power of faith, insomuch that even the giant Orgoglio lost all power in its presence, and so did the many-headed beast. When Duessa saw the giant fall, she threw her golden cup to the ground. She threw aside her crown and fled as fast as she could. However, the swift squire captured her and brought her to King Arthur. Whose grievous fall which false Duessa spied, her golden cup she cast unto the ground and crowned mitre rudely threw away. Such piercing grief her stubborn heart did wound that she could not endure the doleful stound, but leaving all behind her, fled away. The lightfoot squire her quickly turned around and by hard means enforcing her to stay, so brought unto his lord as his deserved prey. Una, who had been observing the battle from a distance, came running fast to greet her champions. She praises King Arthur. The royal virgin, which beheld from far in pensive plight and sad perplexity, the whole achievement of this doleful war, came running fast to greet his victory with sober gladness and mild modesty, and with sweet joyous cheer him thus bespake. Fair branch of noblest flower of chivalry, that with your worth the world amazed make. Una tells Arthur that she cannot repay him for his valiant deed. He risked his life for her. She assures Arthur, however, that heaven watched that battle and heaven will requite him with interest. And you, fresh bud of virtue, springing fast, whom these sad eyes saw nigh unto death's door, what hath poor virgin for such peril past wherewith you to reward? Accept, therefore, my simple self, and service evermore. And he that high doth sit, and all things see with equal eyes, their merits to restore, Behold what ye this day have done for me, and what I cannot quite requite with usury. Una quickly comes to the point. Looking at the evil witch Duessa, she begs Arthur to keep her prisoner, then urges Arthur to go with her to find the Red Cross Knight, who is imprisoned somewhere deep in the dungeon of the castle. But scythe the heavens, and your fair handling have made you master of the field this day. Your fortune, master, eke with governing, and well begun, end all so well, I pray. Nee, let that wicked woman scape away, for she it is that did my lord bethrall, my dearest lord, and deep in dungeon lay, where he his better days hath wasted all. Oh, hear, how piteous he to you for aid doth call. King Arthur orders the squire to hold Duessa captive while he leads Una on her quest to find her suffering knight. King Arthur anxiously goes in search of the Red Cross Knight. The castle dungeon is vast and almost fathomless, and they go through its corridor shouting, but no one answers. There was total silence. Forwith he gave in charge unto the squire the scarlet whore to keep and carefully, whilst he himself with greedy great desire into the castle entered forcibly, where living creature none he did espy. 
Then gan he loudly through the house to call, but no man cared to answer to his cry. There reigned a solemn silence over all, nor voice was heard, nor white was seen in bower or hall. Finally, a very old man who is the jailer appears. He is strange. His beard is white as snow, and he hobbles feebly, holding on to his staff. He is stone blind, and yet carries a bunch of keys that are entirely rusted from disuse. They were for every inner door, but because of his blindness and their thick rust, he could not use them. At last, with creeping crooked pace, forth came an old, old man, with beard as white as snow, that on a staff his feeble step did frame and guide his weary gait, both to and fro. For his eyesight had failed him long ago, and on his arm a bunch of keys he bore, the which unused rust did overgrow. Those were the keys of every inner door, but he could not use them, but kept them still in store. He was stranger still. He walked forward, but his head was turned backward, forever looking behind him, showing a grizzled face. But very uncouth sight was to behold how he did fashion his untoward pace, for as he forward moved his footing old, so backward still was turned his wrinkled face. Unlike to men, whoever as they trace both feet and face, one way are wont to lead. This was the ancient keeper of that place, and foster father of the giant dead. His name, Ignaro, did his nature write a red. The jailer's name is Ignaro, which means ignorance. It symbolizes the fact that anyone who turns their back on truth loses the light they have and live in darkness. Such is the fate of the Red Cross Knight who allowed himself to be seduced by Duessa. The image that the jailer's face is always looking backwards symbolizes the regression of those who turn against truth. The keys the jailer holds are rusty and useless. They cannot open the doors of the dungeon, which symbolizes the fact that only the powers of heaven can set one free from the captivity of evil. All these suggest that the only person who can free the Red Cross Knight is a person of faith, such as King Arthur. King Arthur symbolizes sainthood, but he does not symbolize Christ. King Arthur can free the knight from prison, but he cannot unburden him of his guilty conscience. That must come later through sore repentance. King Arthur symbolizes someone who wears the full armor of God. Thus the wicked witch Duessa and the horrible giant have no power over him. King Arthur represents the ideal Christian who through the power of faith shows others the way to freedom. Old men were supposed to be wise and King Arthur honored the jailer for his age but was astonished at his ignorance. Every time Arthur asked him a question, he gave the same answer. I cannot tell. His reverent hairs and holy gravity the knight much honored, and beseemed well, and gently asked, Where all the people be which in the stately building want to dwell? Who answered him full soft, he could not tell. Again he asked, where that same night was laid whom great Orgoglio with his puessence fell had made his captive thrall. Again, he said, he could not tell, ne ever 
other answer made. Again, we see that only those who wear the full armor of God can contend against the wiles of the devil symbolized by the giant Orgoglio with his great power and the wicked Duessa, duplicitous in every way in her golden cup and many-headed beast. Even the noble squire was weakened by the charms of the golden cup. King Arthur alone with his loins girt about with truth, his breastplate of righteousness, his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all taking the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Please join us next week as King Arthur frees the Red Cross Knight. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.